Words for Granted is supported by Yabla, language immersion through authentic programming in the language you want to learn. Yabla features modern television, film, and original content by native speakers of Spanish, French, Italian, English, German, and Chinese. Yabla's premier language learning video platform enhances conversational understanding by utilizing custom playback, subtitles, flashcards, and learning games such as Yabla's patented dictation game, Scribe. Stream authentic shows you enjoy and learn at the same time. Try Yabla risk-free for 15 days by going to yabla.com slash WFG. That's yabla.com slash WFG. Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. Today's episode is part one in a new series on idiomatic expressions, or idioms. So let's jump right in. According to an estimation by American linguist Ray Jackendoff, the English language has around 25,000 idioms, many of which are part of everyday speech. What's up? Are we on the same page? It takes two to tango. My boss went off on me today. We checked into the hotel and are ready to hit the town. All of these sentences contain commonly used English idioms, and it's hard to imagine our language, or any language, without them. They're expressive, evocative, and efficient, by which I mean they can say a lot with a little. They're also linguistically peculiar. Very peculiar, as it turns out. Before doing episode-length deep dives into the history and evolution of particular English idioms, I wanted to give you an overview of idioms that explores some of these peculiar linguistic characteristics. Most of you probably know what an idiom is by definition, but I think a definition of idiom is still a good place to start. An idiom can be defined as an expression in the usage of a language that is peculiar to that expression itself, either a. in having a meaning that cannot be derived from the conjoined meaning of its elements, such as up in the air for undecided, or b. in its grammatically atypical use of words, such as give way. So, let's break down A and B a bit further. A. An idiom's meaning cannot be derived from the conjoined meaning of its elements. To put it simply, this means that you can't understand the meaning of a whole idiom by individually understanding the literal meaning of its parts. To put it not so simply, idioms are semantically non-compositional. In linguistics, Compositionality is the principle by which the meaning of a complex expression, whether a clause, full sentence, or any combination of words, can be determined by the individual meaning of its parts and the rules by which those parts are combined. So, idioms, by their nature, contradict this. Again, we call them non-compositional. The example of semantic non-compositionality in the definition I just read was 
up in the air. The compositional meaning of the combined words up in the air refers to something that is above the ground. Birds, clouds, and airplanes are up in the air. However, if you don't already know the idiomatic meaning of up in the air, you can't reliably determine the meaning of the idiom by understanding the literal meaning of the words up in the air. If my feelings are up in the air about my new job, or my friend is up in the air about going to the party, my friend and I are literally down on the ground while figuratively feeling undecided. Okay? And now, B. An idiom's meaning cannot be deduced from its grammatically atypical use of words. Now, idioms don't need to be ungrammatical as a rule, but idiomatic ungrammaticality does occur frequently. The example of atypical grammar in our definition was give way, meaning to surrender or to submit. Give way is a phrasal verb, which, if you need a refresher, is a verb that combines two or three words from different grammatical categories to convey a single action. There's a lot of crossover between idioms and phrasal verbs because they're both non-compositional. Anyway, in the idiom give way, the phrasal verb formula is verb plus noun, which is ungrammatical in standard English. The three standard formulas for phrasal verbs in English are verb plus preposition, verb plus particle, and verb plus particle plus preposition. Furthermore, much like the idiomatic meaning of up in the air, the idiomatic meaning of give way is neither equivalent to nor reliably determinable from the sum of the meaning of its parts. Idioms stand outside of ordinary conventions of syntax and grammar, which explains the etymology of idiom itself. It ultimately derives from the Greek word idios, which meant private or belonging to oneself, personal. If something is personal, it is uniquely one's own or peculiar to that person. Think idiosyncratic, which comes from the same root. From this sense of peculiarity and singularity, the word idioma came to mean a linguistic peculiarity, thus idiom. If you're wondering if idiom and idiot are ultimately cognate, they are. Briefly, in ancient Greece, an idiot was a private person who stayed out of politics, and thus idiot came to mean an uninformed or ignorant person. It's an interesting etymology that has gone through several evolutionary phases over more than two millennia, and maybe one day I'll do a full episode on it. Because of their idiosyncrasies, idioms don't translate well from language to language. If you were to literally translate quirky English idioms such as caught in a pickle or raining cats and dogs into another language word by word, not only would these idioms lose their meaning, but semantically they'd sound utterly ridiculous. The Spanish idiom mucho ruido y pocos nueces literally translates into English as a lot of noise and no walnuts. It sounds weird in English, but it's a common Spanish idiom that's equivalent to I'll talk, no walk, which is itself an English idiom for someone whose actions don't live up to their word or their promises. If you've ever learned or taught a foreign language, then you know that idioms can be confusing to non-native speakers encountering them for the first time. 
I'm a part-time ESL teacher, and for lower-level students, particularly children, I try to avoid using idiomatic language in order to be understood. I might tell a student to learn and remember the vocabulary words for next time, but I would not say learn the vocabulary words by heart, because to learn by heart is an idiom whose meaning probably isn't obvious to a seven-year-old who's been learning English for a year. If you make a conscious effort to not use idioms, you suddenly start to realize that idioms are everywhere. To clarify, I'm not discouraging my ESL students from learning idioms. On the contrary, mastering idioms is a crucial element of becoming fluent in a foreign language, but this kind of mastery comes at a later and more mature phase of language learning. In spite of everything I've just said, not all idioms are opaque to those unfamiliar with them. Some idioms are just simple metaphors whose meaning can be deduced from context, such as to pull the trigger or to give up the ship. Metaphorical idioms refer to something specific in order to convey the generic. For example, pulling the trigger is a specific consequential decision, but that phrase may be used to describe any consequential decision. Giving up the ship is a specific situation of surrender, but that phrase may be used to describe any situation of surrender. Research by psychologist Sarah Bortfeld unsurprisingly demonstrates a statistical correlation between the universality of an idiom's prototypical situation and how well that idiom is intuitively understood by non-native speakers. The prototypes we just looked at were surrender and decision-making. The more universal an idiom's prototypical reference, the easier it is for non-native speakers to understand the idiom. Perhaps the most universal idiomatic prototype is the human body itself. Long quote from an article by Frank Boer. Idioms such as hot under the collar, breathe fire, and let off steam all refer to being angry, and they do this through the image of anger as something hot inside us. This makes sense to us because when people get angry, they often get red in the face as a result of rising body temperature. Similarly, the figurative expressions lend someone a hand, try your hand at something, and have your hands tied all use the image of the hand to refer to performing an action. This also makes sense because we know from everyday experience that most activities involve the use of our hands. End quote. Other common prototypes for idioms come from specific areas of universal cultural experiences such as sports, war, and cooking. Of course, a language's idioms also reflect the specific cultural activities of the people who speak the language, which is why, for example, English has so many nautical idioms. With the globalization of the English language, there's no longer a strong cultural connection between English and sailing, but England, which of course is the birthplace of English, is and always has been an island nation whose history has been shaped by seafaring. A short list of common nautical idioms in English includes on board, deep water, sink or swim, rock the boat, all hands on deck, make waves, hand over fist, run a tight ship, close quarters, learn the ropes, and show your true colors, the last of which is a reference to the deceptive use of national flags to confuse enemy ships. 
I found a list of over 50 of these, which I'll link to on the show's website, wordsforgranted.com. Now, I don't speak Nepali, but as the historical language of a high-elevation, landlocked nation, I would imagine that it's lacking in nautical idioms due to the absence of any context for them to arise. And now, a quick word from today's very appropriate sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Yabla. Yabla is an online language learning platform that uses video content in conjunction with additional tools like flashcards, games, informative articles, and more to help you get on track to fluency. Yabla's video library contains over 1,000 videos for each of the languages it offers. Chinese, Italian, Spanish, French, German, and English. For the past few weeks, I've been using Yabla to brush up on my Spanish, which admittedly isn't great, but I'm remembering a lot of what I've forgotten over the years while also internalizing new words, expressions, and grammar. Tal vez algún día hablaré bien español. You can watch videos with bilingual subtitles, English-only subtitles, or no subtitles at all. You can toggle the subtitles on and off mid-video, and each word in the subtitles is hyperlinked to a bilingual dictionary so you can look up new words with one click. You can download full transcripts of the videos you watch, leave comments, view others' comments. The list of features just goes on and on. I particularly like their catalog of articles about everything ranging from grammar usage to idioms. These articles usually have accompanying videos and audio clips demonstrating the discussion topic, so you always get an authentic sense of the whys, what's, and the hows of everyday speech. The best way to see what Yabla has to offer is for you to try it yourself. Try Yabla risk-free for 15 days by going to yabla.com WFG. That's yabla.com WFG, like words for granted. I've linked to it in the show notes, and you can also find a link on my website. Based on our discussion, hopefully it's clear that the emergence of idioms with particular semantic themes within particular languages or speech communities isn't arbitrary. This seems like common sense, but much of the older literature on idioms treats them as if they're ideologically random and unteachable. By learning more about the historical and cultural context of a language, a non-native speaker of that language has a better chance of systematically inferring the meanings of idioms that would otherwise be opaque. Not exactly an effective method for teaching idioms to a seven-year-old foreign language learner, but for older language learners who can think critically, this approach does work, and through first-hand experience, I can attest to it. As already mentioned, the thing that transforms these stock metaphors into idioms is their ubiquity in everyday speech. They're not uniquely generated, but rather are part of our vocabulary, just like individual words are. In linguistics jargon, we would say that idioms are stored in the lexicon, that is, a language's entire vocabulary, as lexical items, that is, words, parts of a word, or habitually juxtaposed groups of words that convey a single meaning. Idioms fall into this last category. For this reason, idioms, alongside expletives, proverbs, and conversational cliches, are classified as formulaic language. Many idioms that we use every day have been around for hundreds of years. 
However, because of their fixed formulaic nature, their structures tend to resist language change. Consequently, many idioms fossilize antiquated meanings or grammatical conventions long after they've gone extinct in the rest of the language. Linguistic fossilization is actually the technical term for this. Some examples of fossilized words in idioms include the fro in to and fro, the dint in by dint of, and the kith in kith and kin. Fro ultimately comes from the Old Norse fra, cognate with from. Dint is an Old English word meaning a blow dealt in fighting, and kith is a Middle English word meaning homeland or race of people. There are many, many more examples of this, but I think you get the point. If you think it would be interesting to do a contributors-only bonus episode on idioms that contain fossilized words, shoot me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. And quick plug, by the way, since this podcast doesn't just randomly fall out of the sky into your podcatcher, if you love Words for Granted and want to contribute to the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. You can find a link to the Patreon page in the show notes and on the website, and you can also support the podcast and access bonus episodes by becoming a Words for Granted member on the Himalaya app. Anyway, because idioms are formulaic, words in a given idiom often need to occur in a particular fixed order if the meaning of the idiom is to be conveyed. These are called immobile idioms. Consider the sentences, Grandpa kicked the bucket, and the bucket was kicked by Grandpa. They contain the same basic words, arranged in different but grammatically valid orders, yet most native speakers would understand these sentences to have two unrelated meanings. The first sentence would most likely be interpreted idiomatically, meaning Grandpa died. Sorry, Grandpa. And the second sentence would most likely be interpreted literally, meaning Grandpa kicked an actual bucket. Of course, if we actually witnessed Grandpa kick a physical bucket and then said Grandpa kicked the bucket, this would lend itself to a literal interpretation, but without that context, it's idiomatic. So why doesn't the passive voice construction, the bucket was kicked by Grandpa, work as an idiom? Well, in a literal reading of the phrase kick the bucket, kick is a verb and bucket is a direct object. In the idiomatic, non-compositional reading of the words kick the bucket, kick the bucket functions as a verb phrase and an intransitive verb phrase at that. Intransitive verbs don't take direct objects. Since the bucket in the idiomatic reading of grandpa kicked the bucket is not a direct object, the sentence can't be arranged in the passive voice with a bucket as the direct object if we want the idiomatic meaning to be maintained. Now, you could argue that through context, one could still interpret the bucket was kicked by grandpa as idiomatic, but the reality is that this construction of the idiom almost never occurs in actual speech. On the contrary, some idioms are indeed mobile, meaning the order of their parts can be rearranged, and that multiple constructions of the idiom do indeed occur in actual speech. A classic example of idiom mobility is to spill the beans. Consider the sentences, they spilled the beans on our secret, and the beans were spilled on our secret. 
Although the first example is the more common construction, the second construction also occurs in actual speech, and the idiomatic meaning is maintained. Any guesses why this works? Unlike the idiomatic sentence, Grandpa kicked the bucket, which we've established has no direct object, the idiomatic sentence, they spilled the beans on our secret, does have an object, secret. To spill the beans on is a transitive verb phrase, meaning it's a verb that can take on an object, thus allowing us to structure the verb phrase passively with secret as its object. This nifty study of the grammar behind mobile and immobile idioms was made by linguist George Horn. The last thing I'd like to briefly mention is irreversible binomials. Irreversible binomials are another subcategory of idioms made of immobile constituent parts, but not necessarily for grammatical reasons. Irreversible binomials are two words or two groups of words that always occur in a specific sequence, such as do or die, high and dry, hell or high water, and surf and turf. The predictability of these sequences defines them as idiomatic. Even though hell or high water literally means the same thing as high water or hell, the words in the word phrase did not collocate or become fixed in that order. High water or hell is not an inherently weird construction, but it's simply not the way we're used to hearing the idiom. There's a certain musicality and catchiness to irreversible binomials that stand the test of time. I should note that not all irreversible binomials are idioms. Macaroni and cheese, peanut butter and jelly, and washer and dryer are all irreversible binomials, but they describe things in the world as they are. As they are, but by way of convention, in a specific order. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already, I encourage you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you use, because those really help the show grow and give me feedback about how I can make the show better. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon.